Welcome to HSBC Talks Business, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening, and now on to today's show. Welcome to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs, a podcast mini-series that seeks to empower and support women who are on the journey of growing and scaling their business. We'll speak with inspiring women about their stories and get practical advice from entrepreneurs who've been there before. This podcast has been created in partnership with Albright. Thank you for joining us. My name is Eugenia Prattley, and I'm really thrilled today to to be joined by Rachel Lim, the co-founder of one of my absolute favorite brands. So Rachel, welcome. How are you? Hi, everyone. Hi, Eugenia. Good to be here with you. I'm really excited for our chat today. Today's topic is all about connecting. So when we put together the HSBC World Program, we looked at the four barriers that our research showed us that female entrepreneurs disproportionately faced compared to their male peers when they were scaling their business. And a key barrier that came up was really about sort of access to networks, but a little bit more than that when we looked at the sort of what did access network mean? And it really was about how do you capitalize on connections and how do you forge your own connections and how do you demonstrate your why? So if you get that chance to be in front of somebody who could be very influential for you, how do you really demonstrate your why to them, that purpose and connection? You really make that spontaneous one-off moment into perhaps something a little more meaningful for you. And that can be a really tough thing to do, particularly if your business is breaking new ground or a real sort of innovation that perhaps hasn't been seen before by many in the market. And that is absolutely why we have chosen Rachel Lim the co-founder of Love Benito, to to join us today and share her advice because I think many of us are so familiar with the brand, it probably takes a moment to forget that when Love Benito began, it really was the very early stages of of e-commerce and online shopping as we know it now. And and they were some of the real pioneers for it. Um, So it was probably a tougher conversation to try to explain to people about why this is going to be a winning business idea. Love Benito is headquartered in Singapore. It serves 10 key markets and ships to 20 countries worldwide. Shockingly, and perhaps the most inspirational element here, is Rachel co-founded Love Benito when she was just 19. It just blows my mind. When, when I was 19, I was making cappuccinos at university. I was not creating a game changer in the fashion industry. Um, so we are so thrilled to have Rachel here. Thank you. I am really excited. I too have so much to share about the journey, which we will get to later. So first off, that's great. And, you know, obviously being a leader in a business is an ongoing journey. It, it must, you know, constant evolution required. Absolutely. And I think um, the company and the organization, it's only as good as its, as its leaders, right? So I really think what, I truly believe what John Maxwell said, right? That um, everything rises and falls on the leadership. And that's why for me in my journey, I think beyond, you know, ensuring that uh, we have great plans, strategies, uh, people in place, um, I think as leaders and I myself as a leader, I ensure that I'm constantly growing, evolving, learning, relearning, uh, getting feedback to fine tune um, myself as a person and to constantly develop 
and grow uh, deeper into areas that you know I'm responsible to bring to the table. So I think that's something that has been one of the key driving forces in my personal growth journey as well. I love that. I absolutely love that. Before I get us distracted on a whole different topic, which is personal development that I really enjoy as well, I wanted to take us back to the beginning if I can. So we know Love Bonito as this huge brand. It's fantastic. It's online. There's stores, there's different pop-ups, the marketing is so so positive. But can you take us back to the very beginning? So how did you start it? Why did you start it? Yeah, I would love to. Um, so 16 years ago, um, and this is before Instagram, before any smartphone, iPhones, mm-hmm. before social media, online shopping in Asia was just in its nascent stages. A couple of my friends and I came together. We were still in school back then and we wanted to sell our pre-love quotes online for extra pocket money. So that was how it started. We, after a while of, you know, doing that, we ran out of clothes to sell, but people kept coming back for more. So we decided to use the money that we had saved to go overseas to import clothes to sell instead. So we would do that during weekends, school term breaks. But there was always something missing about the pieces that I imported in, you know, be it the color, the fit, the quality. And back then, you know, um, 15 years ago, it was also the time where a lot of international big brands were coming into Asia. And you realize that they cater and create primarily for the Caucasian women who have very different needs, body proportions, skin tones, climates than us Asian women. So no one was really catering primarily for the Asian women. And so in my final year of university with no fashion, no business background, I decided to drop out of school to co-start the business proper. And that's where I really wanted to democratize great fashion for the everyday women. I truly believe that a great outfit does not have to burn a hole in our pocket. A great outfit does not always necessarily have to end up at the tailors. And I really wanted to do that for women. And I realized along the way that when a woman puts on a great outfit, she looks good, she feels good. She stands a little taller, she speaks a little louder, and she shines a little brighter. So looking good has immense psychological effect in the way we as women feel about ourselves. And if, you know, if being able to help myself or the women around me be able to, you know, have a spring in a step or to be able to, you know, shine a little brighter, then that's what I really want to do for women. So that is essentially how and why Le Bonito was born. And over the years, I've also seen how Fashion has been that main vehicle for us to reach out to women, to empower her, to journey with her, to grow alongside her. And I think that has been such a powerful um, journey that we have had over the last decade. That is brilliant. I, I love this. I just love the entrepreneurial spirit. So you've had this amazing concept. You had the success in Life Journal. How did you then take the next step and try to say to people, right, we've got this business. Here's what we want to do with it. and just wanted to remind everybody, there was nothing like this at the time. So how did you try to convince people or show mm-hmm. your why for Love Bonita? Why should you invest? Why should you connect? Yes. Yeah. There was nothing like this on, in the internet space at that time. And mind you also, I must add that, you know, there was women entrepreneurs or women business owners were unheard of, especially not at our ages. We have not even graduated from school. So people wouldn't take us seriously. And so we had so many challenges in so many ways. Firstly, we were the pioneers in the online shopping space because no one had really done it. Uh, Secondly, you know, it's just like young women, not even out of school, uh, wanting to have a 
proper business conversation with C-suite leadership of like established huge firms. So I think that was something that was really very new to all of us, even mm-hmm. to the industry and even into like the fellow partners we wanted to work with. So it was really tough, you know, and even when we went to the monopoly in Singapore for logistics, right, um, to want to strike a proper partnership deal, you know, because they were unfamiliar with any one brand or any one person mailing so many packages out in a week. <laughs> that are not just regular envelope packages, right? They are really packages out. Um, we wanted to see if we could strike a deal with them, but to them, they're like, oh no, this isn't going to last. This is not what we're familiar with. And plus, you know, do you have someone else that you can uh, bring to talk to us, like a, a, a man or a grown man uh, from your team? So it was really, really sad in that sense. But I think for us, we just pushed through. Uh, we also found creative ways to work around it. And I think so what happened was, you know, I was talking to a friend and I was sharing with him about the struggles in the logistics, in the logistics realm that I faced in Singapore. And after that, subsequently, he also came out to start one of the most successful logistics startups right now, which is known as Ninja Van. So I think it's really also about not accepting no for the answer and really trying to find other creative ways to work around it. There was a, there were a lot of pushbacks that we faced very early on. And it honestly also made me doubt as a founder, like, okay, mm. are they right? Do I really not know what I'm talking about? And, you know, it's true also, you know, a lot of people would tell us back then, like, oh, this has never been done before. No one has succeeded. Why do you think no one has succeeded, you know? And it really planted seeds of doubts and it really makes you believe for a moment, like, okay, maybe they're right. But I think again and again, it's really all about going back, digging deep and really, yeah, just listen to the intuition, that little voice inside of you. And if you really truly believe in your mission, you know, then go for it and go all in in pursuing it. I think, first of all, the feedback about meeting somebody else in your business, i.e. a man, is horrific. I know many stories of even women who have successfully secured VC funding having pretend male email accounts for people to contact. So so sort of thinking about the times you were rejected, a lot of it, I think, was people just, I I want to say ignorance, but more about just the unknown. Like they just had never heard of this. So you can't blame them for not knowing or getting on board right away. But how did you then convince them? Did you have to keep reworking your pitch or getting new research or trying to get more sort of testimonials or how did you sort of really win over, I guess, the, the negative yeah. Um, people? Yeah, I would say it's a combination of different ways of winning people over. For some, we had to win over just by keeping a close relationship, almost like a relationship at arm's length while, you know, while we constantly, for us, at some point, there are a lot of people that will only believe after you've proven yourself after a while, right? So that's, that those are people that we constantly kept relationships, kept updates of the business about, uh, you know, but uh, kept them at arm's length so that, we, you know, when finally they feel like we're legit enough for them, then they would come on board of any sorts, right? And I think the other, w- the other way is also, I think when you talk about investors, right, specifically, mm-hmm. uh, when you talk about VCs, I think at the end of the day, it's really like a marriage. You just need that one person to really see you and believe you for the potential that you have and really go in with you to do this business together. I think that is something that is so powerful. And a lot of the times, it's not just about convincing the critics or convincing the unbelievers because they will always find 101 reasons not to believe you, right? All you need to do is to keep knocking on the door of that one person who would see you 
for so much more than you are. And that's what you really need. And I do believe that there are actually really soulmates in terms of like business partners out there that are meant for all of us. Yeah. As idealistic as it sounds, I really believe so. I think that's that's really interesting. And with the people who were on board, so the people who got it, people who saw what you saw and I guess the potential of business, how did you demonstrate your purpose and your why in those situations? Was it crystal cut clear or did it take a while to explain the story of where you were going? I think what really helped was coupling it with a lot of customer references, customer testimonials that really also gave them that confidence beyond just what we as founders believe in the business. And I think that's very um, reasonable, honestly, right? To be able to uh, uh, believe uh, its credibility when you get testimonials and great business metrics from customers. So I think that was something that was really important. And I think, but what I realized is most importantly as founders, you really need to fine tune that one or two USPs, a unique selling point on what differentiates you from your peers in the industry. And you really need to wholeheartedly believe it, build your case around it and prove it. And I think that's just something that, yeah, it's, it's something that we learned along the way. It's not as important, you know, to say that, okay, this is why we're good. These are 10 reasons why we're good. As it is that two main reasons behind why you're differentiated from the rest and why the world needs you. So I think that's something that, yeah, it's not just about quantity, but really going deep into the quality of the reasons. That is so interesting. And I think this is really interesting personally for me because I come from a communications and PR background. And we have a saying in, in comms, which is make a point, back it up and tell me what's next. So it sounds very similar to, to what you've explained there, which is you don't need this giant list, but you make your yeah. point, give me your facts. What is it? Okay, why yeah. is this? Prove it. What's important? Why yeah. is important to me? And where is this going to go? So how do we get next? What's the vision? And I think that is, it's funny that it's so similar, but I think it's, they're really good tools for telling your story very succinctly and powerfully. Yeah. Um, I want to think a bit more about this storytelling component now is and now taking you a lot more to today. So we've talked a little bit about the beginning of the origins of, of Love Bonito. But now when you're you're the one getting approached now, people are coming up to you and you're the big player. People are saying, I've got this brilliant idea or Rachel, I want to get your advice on this or could I have your time for a coffee or could you reflect on this for me? How do you like to be approached and what are some of the improvements or tips that you've seen from people approaching you that perhaps um, the audience might be interested in hearing? Oh, oh, this is a great question because for me, I, I had to learn it the hard way too, right? And I think it's very normal. And in fact, I think we as entrepreneurs or leaders should do this, right? To um, all, It's almost like whole reach out to potential mentors or people who have gone before us to get to know them, speak to them, uh, learn from them. And I think that is really very important. That's one of the quickest ways I've learned through reading and also learning from people who have gone before me, right? So one of the things that I've learned, and this I learned from one of my mentors, is you know when you call reach out to people, um, what a lot of the times how we do it is through LinkedIn messaging or email, and I think it's very important to first and foremost not write a whole lengthy email because that is intimidating, and sometimes um, people might not just have the time to read everything. So I think it's just being very succinct about who you are, what you're here for. Uh, what do you want from that person? And then next is also, you know, to provide that one or two liners on what you can potentially offer them in return. 
And this, when I first heard it from my mentor, I was a bit shocked because I was like, oh, but I'm so much younger than them. What can I offer them? But it's so interesting when she said, actually, even for them, what they're looking for, for them at this age, at this stage in their career, what they're also looking for is reverse mentorship in a sense where even for me today, I'm hanging out and I'm reaching out to Gen Zs to learn more about them and how they think about certain things, you know. So if you really lose touch with the next generation of leaders, right, the next generation of the mass population, you're not going to be relevant. So that was one key thing that I took away. You know, as uncomfortable as I was in the beginning, even writing to big names, I had to add in one or two lines where I find that I'm uh, in, in an interesting context or experience that I might be able to provide them. Uh, the other thing is also... You know, so besides, okay, of course, you know, stating uh, what you want to learn from them and why. And then nextly is, you know, what you can potentially offer them in return. The other thing that I've learned is always give them a way to say no at the very end of your email. Uh-huh. So wh- wh- I-, I don't know why, but may- it may be psychological. So it's almost saying like, it's okay if, you know, uh, you're not, it's not a good time this season. Uh, please don't be afraid to let me know, but I'll be happy to catch up with you again when the time is right in future. So at least leave them with a way out in that sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that also worked. Uh, I found that worked. This is so interesting because I've heard the one of, you know, offer something as well, make sure it's a two-way beneficial relationship, but making sure politely that there's a way out is just so important as well. And I think it's a really nice tip to, to share with people. And I think it probably makes it feel almost like a little bit protective as well. So you don't really feel like rejection because actually if you look at everyone's schedules, everyone is equally as manic. And I think that's perhaps something maybe we should delve a little more into is is about setting your own boundaries and your own well-being as, as a leader. I know building a business and business of your size in the rapid time that, that you did has must have been absolutely fast and furious at, at time, maybe for long periods as well. How do you set your boundaries and balance yourself and take that time to make sure that you as Rachel are doing just as well as Love Benito is? Yeah, I know it's really tough to be very honest with you. You know, um, I was married once and I lost my first marriage to really cope and deal with juggling the different aspects and relationships and important pillars in my life. I think it's, as, and, and that was also, and, and I think one of the reasons why I've always been putting off having kids, even though it's my dream to have three kids, but I've always put off having kids until most recently is because I've always thought that, okay, um, what if the baby takes away time from me, uh, away from me at work? You know, what if I have to give up certain aspects of work, which I'm not comfortable with giving up at that moment i've been putting it off for so long um until you know i i I decided one day you know what i'm getting older uh, and really i think there is no perfect time i'm just gonna have to learn how to deal with it um so i I think and so many times even throughout my my marriage now my relationships right i think even really setting aside time to have proper date nights like really quality time sometimes at dinner I'll be responding to emails or text messages about work and my husband will be like, what's going on? Is is the office burning down? What's so important that you have to respond now? I'll be like, oh, but you don't understand. You don't understand what it's like to run a business and things like that. And of course, that will cause so much friction and arguments. 
And at some point, my husband had to sit me down and, and tell me all this, this is what you're going to prioritize. Then, you know, we should really relook um, where our marriage is going. And that was a really hard conversation mm-hmm. with me because I definitely do not want to repeat the same mistakes. So I think for me, especially, you know, with the birth of my son, Ollie, um, one of the best analogies that I've heard from John Maxwell was that, you know, in life, we have so many different responsibilities. We juggle so many different responsibilities. Some of them, like the balls that we juggle in life, some of them are made of glass. Some of them are made of rubber. You have to identify in every season which aspects of your life is made of glass and which ones are made of rubber. If you drop the rubber ball momentarily, it will bounce back up. But if you drop a glass ball, it would shatter and things might never be the same again. And you have to be okay with it. And so that was for me a huge awakening. Like, wow, ever since I've given birth to Ollie, um, really work has been like a rubber ball, you know, and I'm so grateful to such a strong village at home and at work that enables me to fully focus with my son when I need to and fully focus at work when I need to. And also really understanding that it's not the end of the world if I were to drop my work momentarily, but also realizing and being honest with myself, which aspects are glass ball that I'm not ready to drop. And I think that's something that has really helped me through um, really learning how to juggle. I must say I'm still learning and doing my best. Um, but at least I think I have um, learned to just be very honest with myself and learn to let go in certain aspects because if not, I think, yeah, everything around me, including myself, would suffer. Yeah. First of all, thank you for, for sharing and being so open about your personal challenges on the side of business success. I think. How do you then now as, as a leader of people as well, because you've got you know fantastic group of staff working for you in, in all over the places, how do you make sure that that philosophy of really understanding that the business is a rubber ball and that their personal lives, their glass balls are, yeah. you know, are equally as valuable as your glass balls in a sense? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think I used to think that as long as I, I keep telling people, it's okay, take the break that you need to, uh, but I don't lead by example in my actions. I think that defeats the whole purpose. And I say this because, and people will know that I'm very supportive if they need to take some urgently for family or they need to take time off for certain things. But I think I, I had one of the feedback from my team tell me that actually it gave them so much pressure when I came back to work just three weeks after I had given birth. They saw me in the office and they were like shocked. But then I realized as a leader, your actions are so important. No, no matter what you say, if you don't walk the talk, people are not going to get it. So I think for me, since then, it's been very, been very, very mindful where, you know, I also walk the talk where if I'm on holiday with my family, I'm not going to reply to my emails as much as I can. Because I want my team when they're on holiday, they, I really want them to shut off. And I think that's the only way for me to drill it to them is to lead by example. That is, yeah, again, thank you for sharing such an, such an honest story. It's, it's so right, you know, leadership, it really comes right from the top. You know, your examples, your actions, whether you realize it or not, are influencing everybody else who is joining you on this journey to achieve the same successes and the same vision that you're, you know, you're outlining. So super, super important there. And I think a lot of, a lot of lessons here for, for everyone, myself included on this call. Okay. But talk about walking the walk and talking the talk, thinking about the, the purpose and how you sell the Love Bonito story today. I imagine it's a very different sort of 
three pointers that you would give compared to where you were, say, 10 years ago at the very beginning when you're facing a wall of, of no's. What is, what is your sort of position now and how has it changed? And follow-up question if you be so cheeky is where do you think the next evolution is in terms of the purpose of Love Benito? Yeah. I think when we first started, it was really, especially in the early years, and, and it, I may be honest, even before LB really, Love Bonito really started, it was because, you know, it was really, I wanted to share my co-founders and I wanted to share our love for fashion with everyone. I appreciated a great outfit. I know what it takes, you know, to put two great colors together, things like that. So I think it really started from there. And along the way, it got so serious because I realized that, hey, you know what? I want to create for women like myself, the Asian women. And so that's where it also started with, unlike our peers in, in, in the industry, we do not just use feet blocks as mannequins. We use real women as feet models to come in to try on the piece of clothing um, to ensure that she not only looks good, but she feels good. She can move around. It's functional, little things like that. So that's when we also realized that, you know, hey, firstly, we wanted to democratize fashion. And then we also wanted... It's almost like creating an armor for women. That's how we saw creating our pieces. And over the years, I also realized that, hey, actually, at the end of the day, what am I really passionate about? And that's why I truly believe that Love Bonito is not just in the business of fashion. Love Bonito is ultimately in the business of women. And I think that is something that has been so powerful and a switch for me where, you know, because over the last 10 years, we have really done so much to build credibility, build an influence around the brand where whatever that we come up, people trust us because it's great value, it's great quality. Uh, there is so much heart behind it. And over the next 10 years, we're so excited to expand beyond fashion because at the end of the day, I want to reach out to a woman to journey with her, uh, to hopefully see her grow in confidence to pursue her dreams and have the courage to who she's meant to be. So I think that's something that's very exciting for us as we extend the universe, as we build an ecosystem around women, all with that same ethos and values of you know, providing great value and really coming alongside a woman to empower her. I guess the evolution of me is, is so clear in that story because your purpose actually hasn't changed. It's about making people feel good in what they're wearing and using fashion as a way to, to help people feel more confident, feel more themselves, be comfortable, all that. And that's actually stayed true to you all the way from, you know, the very beginning, right through to, to now, from your live journal days, right through to now and to where Blavini is going to go next. It still stays that purpose, but perhaps all the facts around it are changing. The way it's delivered is changing, but the yeah. it stays the same. What's one thing you know now that you wish you knew then? Definitely myself. I wish I had taken the time to truly start the journey of getting to know myself inside out. Who I am, who I'm not, what drives me, what drains me. What are my key core values, you know? Uh, what are my natural strengths? What are my abilities? What are things that I really suck at, that I'm really bad at, I'm really weak at, that I need to surround myself with people who are better than me at, in those areas? Uh, being very honest with myself. I think a lot of my early days was spent posturing, trying to be like someone else, trying to be like the media glamorized leader um, because a leader is supposed to look a certain way and I'm not that way at all. And I thought there was something wrong with me. And so I decided to try to be who I wasn't. And it was a vicious cycle of just unhealthy habits, right? And I think for me, it wasn't really, I, it wasn't really until I decided to own who I am, work on being, um, 
more of myself that I became more confident and I slowly started to see the impact that I was meant to make. And that's why I wish I had known earlier that all of us are created so differently and so uniquely. We are gifted so uniquely and we are meant to shine in a very different way. And so that for me was something that I wish I had known earlier. That is phenomenal. And you have touched a couple of things that I've heard some really standout leaders, both in, in the bank and, and outside the bank, all say to me is that you need to surround yourself with people who are better than you. You want to hire the smart people. You want to yeah. kind of look at your skill sets, recognize where you're not good and don't worry about them. You need to bring people in who are great at those things instead of beating yourself up because you're not great at something. So thank you so much. I, I love that advice. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. I have thoroughly enjoyed today. It's been a real burst of motivation and inspiration and laughter for me. So thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs, HSBC's podcast mini-series dedicated to supporting women on the path of growing and scaling their own businesses. To access more resources for female entrepreneurs, please refer to the description of this podcast. Thank you for joining us at HSBC Talks Business. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please do subscribe to the HSBC Talks Business channel to stay up to date with new episodes.